virtually all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a Leicester lose 3 0 to the Hammers, a bad day at the office for the Foxes. Big Wes meet Little Wes, £30 million for Fafana, the biggest gamble in Leicester's history. Leicester City women, the Europa League draw, and your questions on For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby, and alongside me in For Fox Sake HQ2, Rob Hayes. How are you, Rob, after a. Slightly disappointing weekend, shall we put it? Not as good as I was after last weekend, but still not particularly bad, thank you. Down, but not out. After City's 3-0 loss at home to West Ham, a real reversal, isn't it, Rob? After all the highs of beating Man City, thrashing Man City, in fact, and going 3 from 3. But at this stage of the season, it's quite easy to say we would have taken three wins out of the first four games but it really is a crash down to maybe not the level we hope Leicester are going to remain at for the rest of the season. And we're going to discuss throughout the course of the podcast whether this is going to be hopefully just a blip, what went wrong, what needs to be addressed, if anything, the formation, the players, and also how we then move on and who we're going to play and who we're going to play in Europe and who did we sign in the transfer window, etc, etc. There's a lot to get through. So we'll start with the game, and straight away, I watched it in fits and starts and bursts, because I was on my way down uh, to Arsenal to work, and which was a great thing anyway, just doing uh, working in football for the first time since. It obviously all went wrong in around March time or whenever it was. So that was good, just for me. But the actual travel and being there was just the wrong time for this game. So I've seen highlights and I've listened to not only, uh, say, local radio and seeing clips online, making my own mind up, and also people who watched it, but also the national broadcasts as well and their aspects and their viewpoint, which I think is quite interesting because you can get, not a blinkered viewpoint, but uh, people with predetermined ideas about things and and it kind of fits to their narrative in places which I would definitely count myself maybe not yourself Rob but myself in that um which I try and wean myself off when it comes to doing the podcast but um overall just a really disappointing game against let's face it a West Ham side who have now just beaten Wolves 4-0 and they've come to the KP and won 3-0 yeah, I said they had goals in them, didn't I, in the last podcast? Obviously, I still predicted Leicester to win, um, but I didn't think we'd be able to keep a clean sheet just because they've been scoring for fun, especially in the in the League Cup. But yeah, four past Wolves, three past us. Um, they almost seem to like playing without David Moyes on the touchline. They they were good, West Ham. They, they were effective. They essentially did a Leicester on Leicester. Every single one of their players played very, very well. It was a good team performance with some individual moments of quality, which in in reverse, if you're looking from our point of view, from a Leicester point of view, that wasn't the case. The the team performance didn't quite click together and none of the individual performances 
were at the level that they were at the week before. Now, if you take it in the context of the start of the season, as you say, it's three wins from four. It's a it's a very decent start indeed. But I think it's it's also possibly, and it sounds a little bit ridiculous, but but losing to West Ham is almost a good thing because it hopefully stops people getting too carried away. You know, the people that would that were running away with the three wins from three. That even the journalists asking Brendan Rodgers the question, he kind of looks at them as if to say, "Really, we're going there after three games." Um, you know, beat Man City 5-2 and all of a sudden you're going to go on and have a worldie of a season. It's it's not the case. It's not the kind of season we're expecting. Um, and this kind of result just puts that into context. There is still, uh, there are still elements of the game, the squad, the formation, the approach that don't always click together. And when they don't, you get beat 3-0 by West Ham, as proved at the weekend. So it is... Not humbling, but it brings us back to a sense of reality, which we perhaps didn't have so much after the Man City game, which is quite right. Enjoy that victory for what it was, which was a phenomenal performance and, a, and an outstanding result. But this this has kind of brought us back into, into check, really. Uh, and it's possibly a good thing that the international break is next, just so that we can kind of regroup from that. I think it's very important in fact that the international break has come now after this defeat i'm slightly going to disagree in with a few few points i think it's um i think when you look at the opposition overall west ham and we don't know what they're going to do for the rest of the season but also and i know it's very early in the season but you look at other teams who with maybe towards the top end of our expectations we would be fighting out against in the premier league your Manchester United, for example, losing very heavily. Teams in and around that area who have not performed on a consistent basis because the season's been crazy and this weekend kind of proves that. But I, I will look at it and go, I know it's only four games into the into the season and we could then go on a, a nice run after this and we'll look back and go, yes, it was a blip. But I'm going to say it was a really missed opportunity. Fair play to West Ham, and we'll go into the game in more detail. But just overall, I would look at it and go, this was a bad, bad performance by Leicester and a real opportunity missed to go further clear of those sides and to be joint top of the league with Everton, or I think we would have been top anyway on, say, goal scored. But... It is a missed opportunity, and then you've got the the kind of the international break afterwards to yes, readdress the situation that we are in now, but also you had that transfer the international break to then calm everyone down and 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 kind of say right four from four, brilliant start, let's go from here, Europa League kicking in, etc. Um, I I think it's a it was a real missed opportunity and. And hopefully it's not one that we'll look back on to say this was, you know, with the games coming up, it it was the start of a, a number of poor performances. But the game in itself, we've mentioned a few times about crossing, about the back post area and Antonio's first goal, 14 minutes in, uh, four hours for half time to make it 2-0. And then Jared Bowen late on with the three goals. Leicester not really creating anything pretty much all game. A, a wonderfully worked goal, to be honest, by Harvey Barnes. What, a couple of one-twos and I think Vardy's arse was offside and it didn't count. It would have been a, a consolation goal. But overall, the things that we've mentioned a few times with Leicester in the defence 
It, and it's happened again. And Soyuncu, probably one of his worst games he's had since he's been a regular starter in Leicester's defence. And I've said before about him being a, in a back three because they played with the back three. There was no uh, Madison, which which we'll talk about as well. And I still think Soyuncu goes missing in the back three. I think whether when he's in a central defensive partnership with Johnny Evans... Whether that the fact that he has to be disciplined, he's alongside Evans, closer to him, and he knows his job, and he's more focused, and he's more disciplined, and he plays his game, and we know what a good player he is. But when he's in a back three, I think he switches off. I think almost that there's two other players alongside him, so he, he starts being a bit more rash. We know he's got that in him, and, and we like that. It makes him the player he is, but I think he switches off slightly, and... He takes his eye off not the ball or the game. He takes his maybe eye off the the boring things, the important things, the being in line, the being focused, the being ready. And I think his positioning is a lot poorer when it comes to being in the back three. And it really did play out. It's something we've said, especially himself, over the last few weeks. And it happened again. Now, we play in a back three slash five against Man City. It's a different game. It's a completely different game to them playing the same way at home against a side with a big forward like Antonio. And it didn't work. There were probably reasons why we played that formation, but I don't like to see Leicester doing that at home, especially against a side who are perceived to be lower down in the league. Whether it's something we're going to have to not deal with, but adapt to because it's the way that Brendan Rodgers wants to play and signing Wesley Fofana may be point into that direction but we'll see but the rest of the side they really need to to sort themselves out in this formation if that's the way we're going to be playing yeah against Manchester City it was a five wasn't it and you could see that um especially when Manchester City were in possession they they tucked in and they and they were also quite narrow the wing backs to make a flat back five whereas here I guess the hope against West Ham was that Justin and Castagna would be a lot more adventurous down their respective wings and would play a lot higher up the field. Um, but I think the, the the reservations there with the wing-back system goes back to one that we talked about with Ben Chilwell quite a lot in the sense that Castagna and, and Justin are, are full-backs, really. Uh, Castagna's shown it at times that, he, that he's good going forward, but there's a reason he's not classed as an out-and-out winger and that's because he usually has somebody playing further ahead of him. Same with Justin. So when you play in the wing-back formation, and then everybody else is condensed in a central position, every time you move the ball into that space that's out wide, it's only Justin and Castagna there. And I thought Justin used the ball terribly at the weekend, to be honest with you. But he's filled in as as part of a back three uh, back end of last season. Um, so he, he, first and foremost, he's a defender. And so he should be um, if he's a, a one of the three centre-backs or if he's playing at full-back, fine. But is he good enough on the ball to play left wing-back against a team where he is going to be uh, one of the onuses in terms of uh, attacking threat? No, he's not. Um, Castagna as well, he struggled to find people to link up with. You know, he'd get the ball out wide and then, and then straight away West Ham would be back in shape and back he comes to the centre-backs. Whereas you're looking for somebody in wide positions who can unpick a defence. 
And we didn't really unpick West Ham. And that, that it's a huge credit to them. They did an extremely good job. But at the same time, we didn't do ourselves any favours. And I think possibly the the formation um, sort of match-up worked in West Ham's favour because they could just nullify any of our threats and then hit us with some good counters or some good fast breaks that we just couldn't and didn't deal with. And I, I agree with you defensively um, from Soyuncu point of view. He does seem to sort of think, right, if I'm playing in a back three, especially because they were playing basically against one striker in Antonio, who, by the way, I would absolutely hate to play against. Uh, he's He's got everything, hasn't he? He's got pace, he's got strength, he's found his shooting boots. Um, I think it's 10 in the last 11. I'm just looking at the stat there for him. Um, so he's really in form at the moment. And, you know, he can be unplayable when he's on his game. But you've you've got you've just got to do the basics, and he he his quick thinking for the first goal. He took the quick free kick, and then he just blasted into the box. Great cross by Cresswell, but Antonio's travelled a, a long distance after taking that free kick to then get on the end of it, and it's just lack of awareness. And I, and I don't know whether it is because Suanchu thinks then he's he's more of a ball playing centre back, and he and he switches off from those defensive jobs. Or whether they just haven't had the time and the experience of playing three at the back because it's not it, it's coming back into favour now, but it's not something that's really been around and used by many clubs in many countries for for quite a while. So you know, Brendan Rodgers has got to decide whether he thinks it will work with our personnel and and more time on the training ground and and maybe Fafana comes into that back three in in some way, shape, or form, or to go back to what everybody knows, which is four at the back, what Soyuncu knows, which is playing alongside Johnny Evans as a two, um, and and sort of try and tweak things a little bit further up the field to to fit the rest of the players in. It's it's a it's an interesting conversation to have. Obviously, we're only four games in. It is an interesting conversation. We've had a couple of questions which we can kind of nail at the same time here. David Loosby sent in: Is three centre backs the way forward with Brendan? Personally, I like to see a change. Uh, depending on the opposition, the last game was crying out for four at the back. And uh, Oscar De Bagno says, uh, are we sure Vardy is untouchable and Leicester can't play two at the top? Now, I think both questions are kind of similar because I don't think you can play a 3-5-2 at home without having either Jamie Vardy being supported with another striker like Perez or like Iniacho has to be one of of those two or as a, another forward pretty much or if you're playing away from home we know how you would play Allah away at Man City you're playing more defensive in a complete counter-attack I think that's that's the real issue because you're looking at a, a three centre-halves and, 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 you, and you go back to say the O'Neill era and the way that we play with three centre-halves, you've got the two wing-backs going forward, and then you've got midfielders who you've got your holding midfielders, your busybody, your savage, your Lennon holding, and is it actually helping out two forwards, your Claridge and your, and your Heskey, or your Cotty and your Heskey? Now, I know that was the players that we had then, but you kind of fit that around the team at the moment, and the team that played yesterday, you've got your back three, as we know, the wing-backs, as we know, and then you've got Mendy and, and Yuri Tillemans, who... Mendy's played well, played well again, who's going to be anchoring the midfield. You then have 
four players to go forward with. And the rest of the side are going to be defensive, even though you've got two wing-backs. But at times, and most of the time, they're going to be still towards the rear of your team. Not quite a full-back, etc. But, you know. Now, those players are Perez, Barnes and Vardy. Vardy's right up top. So your other two are going to have to be your your number eight in the side and your ten, your, your midfielder who's going to be the kind of box-to-box box, but also good at going forward, holding the ball up. Your number 10, your, your kind of playmaker who can give and go and pass the ball, thread the ball through. Now, I'm sorry, but Barnes and Perez, they aren't those players. Perez, for me, is, as we've said, he's in the centre uh, as a as a 9 slash 10 behind Vardy or just next to him, really, as a as a kind of floating forward in that in that forward area. And and Barnes is, a uh, at the moment, a pacey winger, who might go and end up being more central, but again, he's he's not that player who's going to be, say, like a James Madison and receive the ball and lay the ball off and and be tricky. So, if you're going to play that formation, fine with the players that we've got in the squad when fully fit. But at the moment, and with the team that was put out at home, I just think the formation was bang wrong because of the team we had. If we've if Madison was fit. Brilliant. It works fine. You can play Madison in that 10, give him help with either a uh, Iosi Perez or a, a, probably a Harvey Barnes, and then have Vardy up top or push Barnes just alongside Vardy at times. And and it would work. Now, would one player change the formation? Would Is one player good enough to do that? Well, yes, in my opinion. I think Madison is good enough, but also he is that player who can then drop and help Tillemans. He can then go forward and release the ball forward for Barnes and for Vardy. He can also receive the ball from the wingers because they're not going to just whip the ball in all the time for the big man in the middle or to pick out Vardy because he's being mobbed by their defenders and also we haven't got a, a big man up top. So they need to be able to then pass the ball infield to a, a number 10 like in Madison, for example. Yesterday, or at the time we're recording, two days ago, we we didn't have that. We had Barnes, who who at the moment he's not going to show himself as that player to receive the ball from the wingers, and also Iosi Perez, whose natural instinct still is to go forward and be alongside Vardy, which he should be. So there was a massive hole in the team, and thus we don't have any shots. And I don't I don't like that formation with the players that we had out on the field. I think it it just screamed to go four at the back and then play your usual team, having the, the midfield two, with Tillemans going slightly further forward because it's against West Ham. And then the rest of the side would have fell into place and have the likes of Barnes on one side. Uh, you could have Perez on the other side if you want or or even play um, Cengiz Under on that side. And, and, and you play your traditional City formation at home. I think if we're going to play three at the back, okay. But we need to have those players in the middle of the park that will link the defensive midfield too. And I'm going to put Yuri Tillemans in that role because, again, he's sitting slightly further back. And he also still doesn't really have the engine to go back, back to front, back to front all game. You need to have that link player. And at the moment, that link player is James Madison. If he's not in the side, then I'm sorry, I don't like to play that formation at home. It, it really limits are attacking uh, impetus, flow, and generally, with the players we've got there, any sense of building any concerted pressure like we have done under Brendan Rodgers since he's been here. 
Well, if you look at it, the final point, I think, on the formation, otherwise we'll bore people to death. But if you look at the the starting lineups for the last couple of games, um, we played the 3-5-2 against Burnley. And, you know, Amati was um, was in the side, that uh, obviously, for the last couple of games, but not against Burnley. The midfield three had Mendy, Pratt and Tielemans in it. That wasn't that wasn't that formation, but the, you know it was a midfield three, so that's what we're looking at now. Is it was, it was um, and then Perez and Barnes either side of Vardy. Um, that midfield three seems to not work without either a Dennis Pratt or a James Madison. I fully take your point about Madison. He's the sort of the link man, and and maybe if he'd have got into the positions that Perez found himself in quite often against West Ham, he'd have been able to find that final pass because. We had a distinct lack of clear-cut chances against West Ham. Yet I recall quite a lot of the time seeing Perez picking up the ball in a decent position and just not really being able to use it as well. He had a real opportunity against West Ham at the weekend. And, and, and all right, it's difficult when the rest of the team performance isn't quite clicking together. Um, it's difficult to make your own work. But he had an opportunity that I feel that he didn't really take in that central position. You know, because we've always questioned... Do we lose something with him playing out wide? Should he be playing up top on, uh, as a striker? Should he be playing in the hole? Played in the hole against West Ham. Got in the hole, which is great. His positioning was was good. He, he was available a lot of the time, but I didn't think he used the ball very well at all. Whereas Dennis Pratt has been the, the most advanced central midfielder so far. And, you know, he's bagged a goal. He's been involved in goals. He's wor- He works extremely hard. He's got great energy. Uh, and Brendan Rodgers admitted it after the game. He said we missed Pratt and Madison. So it, it's almost like a hindsight thing for him looking at that, thinking, OK, that formation where you need three in the middle doesn't work without Pratt or Madison because because it, Perez just couldn't link the play well enough despite finding the 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 opportunities quite frequently, particularly in the first half. Absolutely, and Dennis Pratt was the player I kind of missed out really because he's been the player who's replaced Madison and and to a, a a fantastic level, and to not have those two players and then still play that formation, it is odd though because when you look at and we'll come on to the the transfers, when you've got Cengiz Under in the side, playing a three five two doesn't really match what we believe the player needs. But then you sign Wesley Fofana and then three five two is exactly what that player roughly needs. So you've got two of the three big signings. Uh, Timothy Castagna can play in any of the, any of the formations. So you've got two other signings who one suits it and one doesn't. It, it's a it's a real double edged sword balancing act that we're going to have to sort out. But overall, a very disappointing game, and maybe maybe something for Brendan Rodgers, who I think. We can all say, and we said last time, he got it bang on right against Man City. Really did. And it took uh, you know, a good 15, 20 minutes for maybe everyone to start really kind of believing at home, watching that he was on the right wavelength with the tactics and the grand plan, essentially, against Man City. And it worked to an absolute T. I just think this was an error. This was a big error. And unfortunately, when changes were made... Leicester still had an off day. Now, whether they would have had an off day to the same extent if they played in different formation, who knows? But overall, a really bad result on a 
topsy-turvy weekend. I mean, again, what, what West Ham will do this season, who knows? But I think overall, the, the, the big disappointing thing was the lack of creativity, the lack of chances created. Stats don't mean everything, but when you, you know, you don't have a shot in the first half and there's none on target in the game, what's what's that about? Come on, really? That's, that, that is very, very poor. And, well, we move on. Well, just lastly on the game, Pete, what did you think of Cengiz under? He came on 10 minutes into the second half for Amati, who's injured. Um, and that's when the shape changed in the, in the second half, because obviously you bring one of your three centre-backs off and you bring under on. He's definitely not going to come on and play wing-back for you. Um, difficult situation for him to come into in some circumstances, in, in, in some sort of points of view, because Leicester weren't playing particularly well and it wasn't really flowing that well. However... You would also argue if he is the kind of player who self-professes to be that creative spark, the slightly unpredictable one, the one that makes things happen from nothing, then you you could almost argue it's a perfect scenario. Your side's already 2-0 down. You've got uh, the opportunity to show what you can do to try and drive the team to get back into the game. I know it was his first game. I know it might take him a little while to settle in, but I was relatively underwhelmed. I don't know about you. I don't know whether I'm just being overly harsh because I was feeling a little bit down in the dumps because City were already 2-0 down. But I don't. I think he came on and looked like he was holding on to the ball too long. Didn't seem particularly willing to pass. He almost reminded me of an early Riyad Mahrez. Now, obviously, he came extremely good once he'd got himself up to speed with English football. And this may happen with under, or it may have been just one of those games where it, it wasn't the right situation for him to come in and... and and feel confident, but I, I expected to see a couple of flashes of magic, and I didn't really, I didn't really see anything there. Albeit that's only thirty-five minutes of a football match that was not already lost by them, but but going that way. Yeah, I wouldn't have any worries about him because you're playing on a, um, and I know it's a carpet at the King Power, but. By then, heavy pitch with the, with the conditions against a Premier League side who are bang full of confidence, tuning up in the game, and you've come into a side who are down in the dumps, not creating anything, and I just think there was, it was just the perfect situation for for him to come on and the West Ham side to go, right, we're going to close you down quicker than you've ever been closed down in your life because our tails are up. You're not going to get any help from just inside in the midfield in the area that we mentioned. Uh, yeah, it, maybe he didn't beat a couple of men like we thought he might do, and but it's, it's, a, it's half an hour. It's nothing, really. It'll be intriguing to find out whether he will be starting soon or whether the kind of acclimatisation to the Premier League is going to be longer than it would be for other players. You've got Timothy Castagna, who's settled straight into the side. He looks like he's he's got on well with everyone straight away, and it's all fine. Now, I watched the, the clips of him training uh, regarding Under, and yes, he's obviously mates with Sonchi, so he's pally with him, but I don't know whether he just looked slightly lost and maybe it's a it's a different, more of a different place than it is for Castagna. Castagna's just slotted in like that. It's it's, it's all fine. And there's a lot of Belgians there, etc. All good. I, I don't know whether he's just going to take a lot longer. And if that's the case, then that's the case. Fine. And we have him on loan. So it, it could be that it's going to take months rather than weeks. We hope it's not. But 
I think we'll know more when we see him starting. I think him coming off the bench fine, and he might make a, a, an impact from the bench, but I think we'll know regarding his own kind of mentality, regarding whether he's really settled in or not, is whether he'll start. Because I don't think Brendan will just throw him in. I think he will... Because I, I thought he might have done, but him not doing so leads me to believe that he, he won't until he feels that he actually is ready to start rather than just kind of taking a gamble. Uh, and, and we do have games coming up after this uh, after this international break. It will be pretty much two games a week for, you know, until Christmas pretty much. So there will be plenty of opportunity for him, especially in Europe as well. But uh, I would literally put a line through it and not it, it doesn't even reduce what I hope is going to be a fantastic player for Leicester by 1% for me. I, I, I don't uh, I don't worry at all regarding uh, under. And, and, and just to finish off, really, with the West Ham game, the three-word reviews, um, Indy Fox's uh, disappointment is ours. Uh, that's his three words along the lines of people say victory is ours. Uh, needed a number 10. Uh, that was from just another Roberts. Uh, Ollie says typical Leicester City, which it kind of is in a way. Um, just uh, or not good enough by Jim Chapman. Wilf isn't there by Leighton Warner. Yes, another player. You got Wilf's not there. Pratt's not there. Madison's not there. Pereira's not there. So it's not too bad, is it? Really, when you're missing four pretty much first team players, it's not bad overall. Yuri get fit. By Lucky Bula, well, we mentioned that just in passing. He started to blow late on. Again, whether it's conditions being overran, because that's not happened so far this season. So whether, and I mean, no, if you're chasing the game, it's going to be a lot more tiring than it is when you're playing well and winning and you're keeping the ball, especially if you're the playmaker as well. So he was blowing towards the end. Uh, wrong tactics, Brendan, by Martin Summers. Yes, completely agree. Uh, other ones as well. Uh, let's find these. These will be on the uh, the old Facebook, because remember you can use Facebook and on Twitter at FFS Pod and Facebook. Just type in uh, for Fox Eight Podcast, and you'll find us on there. Uh, Crikey, there's ten on here. Uh, we've got exceptionally poor performance by Stephen Morgan. Overall, pretty hard to disagree, really. Uh, Ron Adams, uh, without matter, something is missing. Nobody driving forward. I think would be the three. Words there from Ron. Uh, not good enough from uh, from your dad again. Mark Perkins. Perko says uh, WTF. There you go. Thank you very much, Perko. Uh, missed Pratt's energy. David Lewis began. Yes, really did, didn't we? He's been arguably, you'd say, Pratt maybe alongside Mendy and Castagna players of the season so far. Um, Oscar says saw it coming. Uh, and uh, all aboard roller coaster. Patrick Hook and uh, Daniel Harrison again. Not good enough. So, kind of what we've been saying, not good enough is the overriding factor, wrong tactics, we do move on, but again, you you are missing those those midfielders, without Madison and Pratt, it, I really do fear if we're going to play 3-5-2. be interesting to see what happens after the international break, wouldn't it, and, and see whether those injuries clear up, uh, see what personnel we've got available, a couple of weeks for the new players to settle in obviously they're away on international duty themselves but you know just to become acclimatised and find out a little bit more about them um, and we'll see where we are in a couple of weeks I think we take stock after the first four games and generally the picture is positive Right, on to the transfer so the transfer window has been shut kind of 
And when I mean kind of, because we can actually still sign players from the Football League. And we can until around about the 16th or something around then of October. Now, with players leaving the club on transfer deadline day, you've got the likes of um, Donald Johnson, we know has already gone out on loan. George Hurst out on loan. Josh Knight moved to Wickham on loan till the end of the season. And I think these are players now where, unless there's been a real increase in their performance this season they've really kicked on or something dramatic's happened at Leicester I, I do fear for their kind of Leicester futures I think they're kind of labelled now and I mentioned this with Donnell Johnson last week in they're probably going to be looking for a club also leaving was uh, Rashid Gazelle he's gone to Besiktas on loan and I think he's going to be in the kind of Slimani territory of he's going to leave Leicester Eventually, when his club, when his contract runs out, I don't think he's ever going to be sold. Um, Silver's gone. He's gone on a permanent deal. He's gone uh, to Sandoria, I believe. And uh, and good luck to him. He posted a message uh, with a photo of him and Vishai, and it says thanks to everyone. But it also said a big thanks to Vishai uh, for giving him the chance to play in the Premier League. And Silver, I just feel sorry for him really because what a crazy start to his Leicester career, being in a new country training with everyone but you can't train at one point and you can't play for the six months it was just a mess all round a real mess and he's gone now he's always off the wages etc but uh, I would wish him well it, it didn't work out but um, in, in terms of incomings the three players we know Timothy Castagna what for 20 odd million look big signing big hit we know what he's been playing like but also Cengiz under on loan possibly a 25 million Deal, we'll wait and see. Very exciting. And Wesley Fafana for £30 million, or between 30 35 Who knows what instalments, who knows what bonuses. It could go up to £40 million possibly. Now, those are the three main signings. And I think Brendan Rodgers, he went on record saying he wanted about five. You can easily say that there would have been possibly a more creative midfielder and a, a forward really in that. Those three players, we know about Cengiz Under because we've seen him for 30-odd minutes and we'll just wait and see and we've mentioned him already. Timothy Castagna, we've spoke about on the podcast for the first few games of the season. Big hit. We know what he's like. Good player. Settled in well. Wesley Fafana. Now, I put out there on social media, is Wesley Fafana the biggest gamble in Leicester City's history in terms of transfer fee, in terms of the situation of the club, what we need, a 19-year-old guy who's hardly played and we've spent, which is still, for Leicester, an awful lot of money. Yes, is the answer. One of them, certainly. Because we talked about it um, on the last podcast and, and the developments kind of became more secure as we were recording. Um, saint um confirmed that they'd accepted a bid from Leicester last time we were recording. Uh, and obviously the transfer has since gone through all of its formalities and been announced. Uh, and we were saying at the time, if you had the toss-up between Tarkovsky or Fofana for a very similar price tag, then I I would have erred on the side of, not necessarily caution, but value for money or guaranteed value for money. Uh, and Tarkovsky, really, £30 million for a player that knows the Premier League inside out and would probably have been straight into the England squad as soon as he signed for Leicester. Um, would have been a good piece of business in my in my eyes, but 
a 19-year-old who's just been called up to the France under-21 squad for the first time for this international break. So he's not even played that kind of level of international football. Breakthrough season, really, at Saint-Étienne last season um, in a position where I don't, I don't think most players hit their peak until mid to late 20s, really. So, you know, you're signing him on potential, you're signing him on... Um, performances over a short period of time, really, relatively speaking. And you're chucking a lot of cash at it. So it does represent quite a big risk. I would be absolutely delighted to sit here and eat my words in six months' time when he's winning Player of the Month and and keeping clean sheets and bagging goals and just looking every inch a Premier League defender. I would I would love to be proven... Not wrong, because I'm not saying it's a it's a bad decision. I'm just saying it's a risky one. Uh, and one that I am very intrigued to watch unfold. And and the management of him as well. Has he been bought for 30 million because he can go straight into the starting lineup as part of a back two or a back three and you can trust him straight away? Or has he been bought with a view to playing second fiddle to a couple of the existing centre-backs. We'll wait and see. It, it, the, Roger's hand might be forced with the fact that uh, Amati, if it was his hamstring, I don't, I don't know if there's been any further update on his injury, but if he's out for a little while again then and he wants to play three at the back, then Fafana might have to come in straight away almost. It, it, it's a very, very interesting one and it's a... It's a brave decision, really, considering the lack of activity elsewhere in the window, really, from Leicester. One transfer fee paid for Castagna, a possible end-of-loan deal fee for under kind of agreed. But then to chuck £30 million at a teenager is interesting business. It is. I asked this question again, and I'll go to the listeners. And I was surprised, to be honest, because I, I'm in the camp of it kind of is. And I'll, I'll start with the comments, and, and mainly because the comments are all basically saying maybe it isn't. Um, Dave Lewisby says, uh, no, we've made £85 million profit from Maguire. Um, Cags and Chilwell, Castagna improved the team massive, <coughs> massively. Excuse me. Uh, we can afford to take the risk. Uh, with him only being 19, he'll only get better, and his value will most definitely rise. Great business. Uh, Nigel Beacross says, every signing is a gamble. Absolutely correct. However, Leicester get it right more often than not. Saint-Étienne fans seem a bit salty about him leaving um, money grabber comments, etc. Jim Chapman, to be fair, every signing is a massive gamble. Some we make massive profits, other we lose. Uh, we take our odds over every other team in the Prem to make the right choice. Uh, Luke Measures says, No, signing a young lag with bags of potential and a very good reputation is never a gamble in my eyes. Signing players in their prime or with no Premier League experience uh, has been where we've wasted our money over the last three or four seasons and they have proved hard to move on. And we'll come on to a few of those in a minute. Uh, and then also on uh, on Facebook, uh, Jamie Shields. Rogers seems to bring out the best in young players like Barnes and Chowdhury. Uh, if he can develop this kid, it'll be money well spent. Uh, Bill Sobey says, Great to see our ambitious club are not afraid of smashing the cash when our management decide we need another class player. Uh, this club has never known such times. Uh, proud as a fan, 
Um, I'm sure many others are. Good luck, Wes. Uh, Stephen Holland, no. The biggest gamble was Vardy. And now look at him, uh, a club legend. And we'll come on to whether he was uh, possibly going to be the biggest uh, the biggest gamble. Steve Taylor, I think this is an ambitious signing. Apparently, one of the brightest stars in French football. I'm excited for the future. And Jojo says, uh, simply, welcome to our special club, Wesley. Now, there's no real right or wrong answer because you don't know whether a player's going to work out or not until we see them on the field of play and you look back on their career at the end of their career or halfway through or in Timothy Castanius after, what, four games. But So there's no real right answer and you have to weigh up Leicester City as a football club at the time, how much money we've got, our position in English football, also what the squad needs. There's all sorts surrounding the answer or the or everyone's kind of point of view. I was just surprised that no one's kind of taken what I thought was, and that, which, which you really did kind of hit the nail on the head, which I thought, Rob, was, yeah, we, we do need a centre-half, and we've gone and spent the money on this guy. Now, I thought if you're going to buy a 19-year-old player who's completely unproven, who's, who's going to be a, or potentially is going to be a big star, those kind of signings are kind of made regardless of, the need of the squad. So that player, right, we'll get him. Doesn't matter that we've got centre-halves at the club, we're getting him because he's a star. A bit like with Manchester United and Wayne Rooney. We're going to get him. We're, we're going to buy him. We've got players in that position. Doesn't matter. He's the man. He's the player we want. Bang. And you go and sign those players. Now, hopefully it turns into a, a big star, but the amount of money, £30 million, 19 years old, hardly played before, it is a gamble, just on the bare facts and the face of it. I think overall, you can be kind of swayed with whether the signing was a success or not. Vardy was a big gamble, a huge gamble, and, and, and the comments were completely right. But at the time, still a million pounds at that time for the football club wasn't like a £30 million signing now. I know we're quite wealthy, but still a million pounds then was still in a kind of an okay signing. I, I would go back, and this is no way because of the career that panned out. But you look at Akinbaye at the time. That was a massive gamble because you're replacing Emil Heskey. You're a top 10 Premier League side and your forward line is going to be basically surrounded by this this guy who we've spent an awful lot of money on, blew the club record out of the water completely. And he was completely unproven at Premier League level. The pressure of being a top 10 Premier League club, your main striker on his shoulders, club record signing, that was a big gamble, really. And I know it didn't pan out right. But then you look elsewhere. Was it Morrison for like £5 million? Again, we were, we were kind of splashing the cash around then. But uh, I know he was playing well in the Championship. That was a, a little bit of a gamble. Kind of modern era. You look at someone like Islam Slomani. Again, didn't work out. But at least he had a, a track record in not only Portugal, but also in at Champions League level as well. Yes, it hasn't worked out, but I think that was less of a gamble than, than this. Now, overall, hopefully it works out. He slots perfectly into a back three. He's got height. He's, what, 6'3". And I would be amazed if he's not starting for Leicester in the next two or three games through either rotation injury or just being placed in there in a back three. If he's going to be playing in the back two, then this guy could well be something special. If he's taken away Johnny Evans' place, for example, because he maybe have a 
a, a tight calf or whatever, or not quite 100% fit. Even if Johnny Evans is 80% fit, he would start all the time for Leicester. But now we've got this guy. It's tremendously exciting. Yes, he's not a number 10 or a number 9. He's a, he's a centre-half. So it's a, bit, it's a bit awkward at times to really kind of get massively excited about a centre-half. But I think overall, it's a very, very ambitious signing. A brilliant signing for the football club for a fan's point of view because it shows real ambition, real proper ambition, I think, to spend this amount of money on someone like him. But overall, it is, I think, the biggest gamble that we've ever made. It is because you look at when we signed Jamie Vardy, the the reason a lot of people think Jamie Vardy was a gamble, and and, and I can completely understand it, it was a gamble at the time, um, was... The transfer fee was the first first million pound non-league player. Uh, obviously, was in his sort of mid twenties by then. Really, um, hadn't played at any significant level or for any significant clubs really since being released by Sheffield Wednesday. But you're completely right in terms of the finances. A million pounds to Leicester then was nothing like what thirty million pounds to Leicester is now. Um, it's you, you can't say that that Leicester's transfer kitty has increased by thirty times its its amount in in that short space of time. So the thirty million represents a much bigger financial risk. Um, but I do I do agree with you. It's ambitious, and you know there'd be there'd be many people listening that that would that would be saying now um, that you don't really get to the next level without taking risks or you don't get as far along without taking the odd risk every now and again. And it's not a rushed risk. It's not one that was a, a sort of reaction buy on the on the final day of the transfer window because it's it's been in the, in the background, been talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks. The player himself heavily involved in that kind of uh, rhetoric on, on social media. So it's not a sort of flippant decision it it will have been carefully considered the the pros and cons of signing for Farner and Tarkovsky will have been weighed up from a playing and a financial point of view so all we can do is sit back trust that the club have got it right uh, and watch it unfold really and, and and hope for the for the kind of performances that he has shown the potential to produce so far I'm not entirely convinced by your idea to play two, two centre-backs and play him and Suyuncu. I, I think if I looked down the team sheet and saw those two there, I'd, I'd worry a little bit because, you know, we've proved uh, over the last, well, since we've been doing this podcast, that we always need a centre-back there with a steady head. You know, the older head, um, the one to keep everything in line and sensible. And that's been Johnny Evans and it's been Robert Huth, um, that steady influence. With Fafana and Soyuncu, I think you've got two young players who who might not necessarily be the greatest of partnerships yet, but we will wait and see because because Evans is is sort of still working his way back to full fitness. Amati, we don't know how long he'll be out for, and I don't I don't know whether Amati would fit as a, as a two man central defence anyway. Um, Brendan Rodgers obviously thinks he's ready for to go into the first team relatively soon because. He wouldn't have named him on the bench virtually the day after he signs um, in, unless he thought he was ready to play for Leicester 
because there are any number of proven players or, or existing squad players that could have taken that that position on the bench, and it was Fafana. So whether that's an indication that that Rogers thinks he is pretty much ready to come straight into the fold, I, I don't know. Well, but that's my that's my point really, because if you're going to play with a back two and. Johnny Evans all of a sudden has a tight calf or whatever, then he's going to have to be playing alongside Soyuncu. You sign a guy for thirty million pounds, you got to play him. If he if he's if he's there fit available, you got to play him. There was a, I mentioned about Stephen Holland. He he says not the biggest gamble. Um, Vardy was and now look at him, club legend. Uh, Mike Rook actually replied saying Vardy wasn't as big of a gamble. I don't think. Um, They'd only have lost one million had it not worked out. This guy costs over thirty. Sandra Stevens then says, "Well, times have changed enormously since then. Um, think eighty million for Maguire, uh, and he's nowhere near as good as Vardy." Well, looking back, actually, when you mentioned Vardy, I think it, it, Vardy would be a close second because of, of his age, uh, where he's come from, and I know it was only a million pounds, but yeah, that was a real gamble, wasn't it? When you look back, that really was, but. Hopefully, it's exciting. Don't get me wrong. I don't think people kind of got the impression that I was down on the on the signing. It's a massively exciting signing. Again, they've gone and gone. That's the player he wants because he could turn into anything. And bang! Here's the money. Go and get it. Even though it's not technically the player we might have needed right now. Someone like a, a Tarkovsky would have been ideal right now. Playing a back three, playing a black two, he can just slot straight in. Hardly has to move house, job done, no worries. The easiest signing you can make. But they didn't go down that route for many reasons, financial reasons, and deservedly so. You don't want to pay any more than 30 million, which we've mentioned before for him. So they've gone down this route. It is really exciting, but wow. Well, and, and I'm just intrigued. And uh, I can't wait to see him, actually, to be honest. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be very, very entertaining when eventually we do. But also, we could still sign players. You look at that number 10 position, you look at the attacking midfielder, Cy Ben Rahm is still at Brentford. What a goal he scored in their win what last week or whenever it was. The kind of Cruyff turn flick through the defender's legs. Lovely finish. You're looking at a player like him, and we've mentioned him in our season preview as one of the players we might want to sign at the end of last season, in fact, the season review. He would be ideal as that attacking midfielder in a central position to link the midfield yes he's similar to a to a Madison type player so can they both be in the same side together who knows I think he could come off one wing for example it's whether they're going to take a risk with him I don't know and we could pick out many players but there's a prime example of someone we we really would like I think would fit the system perfectly and would cause problems when everyone's fit. But who knows? There's plenty of time to go with the players moving from the championship. Put David Brooks into that conversation. Still there at Bournemouth. Whether he's going to be there at the end of the championship transfer window. Uh, we'll wait and see. That's all to come. Um, and also to come is games in the Europa League, Rob. Because the draw has been made. It has indeed. And it's a very interesting draw, really. We, we spoke last week about what kind of draw we would like. Would we like to to get a group stage where you're playing against a few of the, I wouldn't say giants, but some of the better-known sides competing in the in the Europa League? Or would we like a bit, a bit of a, 
a random mixture, you know, teams that you don't know an awful lot about. Um, and, and if we were talking about this, maybe this time last year, we'd be talking about um, possible trips to places we've not been to before, obviously, for, for reasons that we're all very well aware of. That's not the case at the moment. But it kind of it kind of did the latter, didn't it? Let's be honest. Two teams that I personally have heard of, and I think most people will have in Braga and uh, AK Athens. But then the other team, and I, I back myself, for most teams that play in the Europa League, most years, I'd probably be able to tell you where 90% of them, 95% maybe, which country they were from. I did have to look this one up. Zoria Luhansk if that's how you say it, from Ukraine, which presents an interesting challenge because I can't imagine travelling away to Ukraine on a Thursday night to play in the Europa League would be a particularly enjoyable visit. No, not really. And it's this is where the 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 ban really on, on fans going abroad for all the reasons we know, this is where it really does kick us all in the orchestras, doesn't it? Because... We've got the game against Villa coming up on the 17th, and then the next game is at home against Zoria Luhansk. And it would be a, a fantastic atmosphere. Imagine the atmosphere Thursday night, King Power against a team from Ukraine who's no one's really heard of. It doesn't matter who you're playing, it would have been all the memories would have come back from the Champions League games. The conversations would have been, oh, we remember that game, this game at home, that game away, all about the Champions League. And then once the game starts and hopefully City win, then the future games would turn to this Europa League campaign. But it would have brought all the memories back and it still will when the game starts and everyone's watching on TV. Uh, And then we play, we're away at Arsenal and then the first away game would be to Athens. And then the conversation turns completely the other way around because it then goes, do you remember when we we went to Bruges, when we went to uh, Copenhagen, etc. Madrid? And it would have been a lovely away day in Athens. I mean, that that would be would have been ideal, wouldn't it? Oh, what the Olympic Stadium, seventy odd thousand, and then going away to Braga with their fantastic stadium, two stands, one at one side and one at the other side of the pitch, and then behind the goals, at one side, there's just the biggest cliff in the world. It's that stadium in Portugal, a hey, Portugal as well. But it's that famous ground from the Euros, if you remember, with a big cliff behind one goal. What a great game. What a great um, stadium to go and visit. Big shame. But overall, football-wise, bang on group, really, you'd say. Looking at some teams that we missed out on, your Romas, your AC Milans, some really good teams, your Napolis. Uh, We've missed all them. We've dodged them. And uh, it looks... It looks winnable on paper. You don't win on paper, but overall, you look at the group, and if that was put in front of you, Rob, before the draw was made and gone, hey, oh, do you want that now? Uh, yes, please. Thank you very much. I know I can't go to any of the games, but I'll take that right now. And hopefully, they get off to a nice start at home against Zoya Luhansk. It, they should really. They should really, looking at that, looking at the start that these clubs have made in their own leagues... If you look at Braga, not very impressive at all. Athens and then Zoyalahansk, the, the level of football really would be a couple of notches down. You'd fancy Leicester at the King Power against all three. You really would. And then away from home, who knows, by the time you're, you're flying over to Zoya, maybe you're playing a, a weakened side. We'll wait and see. But overall, quite positive, really. In fact, no, very positive for me. 
I'm looking forward to it. We'll we'll see what happens. We'll see what kind of side Brendan Rodgers puts out. Um, whether he changes all the personnel, just a few. Whether he goes stronger in the Europa League and and slightly uh, more reserved in the Premier League, either side of it, we don't know. But it will it will be very interesting, and it adds a different dynamic to Leicester's season, which I think on the whole will be will be a positive one. Yeah, just to go through a few of the games. We will be at home against Zoya Lahansk. Then we'll be after that. So I'll refer to the away game. So AEK Athens will be the next game uh, away from home. After that game on the Thursday night, uh, we will then play on the Sunday. And that will be, in fact, is it the Monday, in fact, because it's the 8 o'clock game away at Leeds. So we'll play away at Leeds after our trip to Athens. And then later on in the campaign, we go to Braga. After the game against Braga, we'll be at home against Fulham. So technically, you couldn't ask for a better game after a travel. And then after that, we do go to uh, Zoyalahansk. And the game after that will be away at Sheffield United. So again, on paper, you look at the games that we'll be playing after our travels and they don't seem to be too difficult on paper. Again, we'll wait and see. And also, just to reiterate, the final game will be at home against AEK Athens. The penultimate game is away in Ukraine. So maybe by then, if it's all gone terribly well, we could maybe rest one or two players. You know, you're looking at, say, your Vards and a few other first-teamers, and you think, what a great thing. After the game at the weekend, you play on a Saturday or a Sunday, and you turn around to... I don't know, five or six of the first team who got knocks or whatever, and you turn around and go, you're staying at home, you're not getting on the three-and-a-half, four-hour flight to the Ukraine. Brilliant. And you're going to bring a few of the under-23s with you or play some players who haven't been playing. That's that's bang-on ideal, really, and hopefully that's the case. You didn't really want the first game to be away in the Ukraine. Um, a few more uh, questions. We've got... Um, uh, one from uh, Lucky Buller, who we mentioned earlier. What's the uh, the root cause of our inconsistency? Uh, I, I just think at the moment, you look at the Premier League and you see everyone's inconsistent. I, I just think we've mentioned the reasons for what we believe was the problems with this game against West Ham. It was just the formation and didn't match the players we had, or the other way around, the players we had to put into the first team were put into, I believe, just the wrong formation. Eventually, if three at the back is going to be the way forward, then fine, but it just didn't work out. So inconsistent, yes, because you win away at Man City and then lose at home against West Ham, but I think there are major reasons for that. And, uh, you you know, you can praise the manager, you can praise the coaching staff, but also if you believe things have gone wrong, which I think most people have done with this game, then, yeah, they're there to be shot at and there to be criticised. Yeah, I think it, it could. You could list any number of factors. You could list the the shape. You could list the injuries. You could use the Brendan Rodgers uh, excuse of the fact that the majority of the players are younger or earlier on in their careers. You look at the most consistent period of results and performances in recent times for Leicester, and it, you go back to the title-winning season. Very few injuries. Very few changes to the lineup. Literally no tweaks in formation whatsoever, um, and everything just just rolled and the momentum built. Y- you feel like, although we've tried to start the season with the majority of the same players, the shape has already changed. The starting shape has changed twice. 
the personnel in the back three has had to change. The personnel in the centre of midfield has had to change. And I think until you get the same 11 players playing the, a formation that they're all comfortable, not just comfortable with, but happy and thriving in regularly, then you are going to have some of those inconsistencies. And, and even if you do, you know, you know, football is is one of those games where the opposition come and do a number on you or they fancy it more than you on the day and, and you can get turned over as, as happened at the weekend. So a lot of factors making small contributions that overall led to quite a largely inconsistent performance and certainly not consistent with the the level of performance that we'd seen in the first few weeks. Yeah, I, I'd I'd say on the um, on the youth part of that, I, I would agree to some points, but also we've got to the stage now where some of these players have played quite a lot of Premier League football, and there were a few comments by Rogers who mentioned you know the the lack of intensity, this and the other. I don't know that's a terrible word because it reminds you of Claude Powell, but it was an early kick off, and they you know they wanted it there, they were first to the ball first, slightly worrying. I I think the fact that Leicester you know, recorded no shots and it was it was such an abject performance yes full credit to west ham but i think there were bigger problems at foot i just think that the you know there were put out the team put out onto the field was was just not the right team it was not the right um yes missing injuries and missing missing players through injury but it just wasn't in the right right manner and yes that leads to inconsistencies and and also football's a game where teams as you said can turn up and you can lose on you can lose games but I think you lose 3-0 playing so poorly th- th- there are bigger reasons for the defeat in this time and and, and the the injuries do go a long way you know you, you're, not, you're not trying to make excuses for them but also I, I believe they just got it really really wrong and we and we move on from that the the final question is um is Rob's kitchen finished yet from uh, Luke Davis. Uh, I knew he'd managed to get his way into the uh, into the podcast. Uh, Luke's one of the the lads that I play football with on a Saturday morning. Valley Eagles FC. They've been hounding me ever since they discovered that uh, I sat in my loft and recorded a podcast with you, Pete. They've been absolutely hounding me to get to get on the um, to get them on the on the podcast. So here they are, Luke. No, it's not finished yet because another one of the lads. Um, He's going to do the tiling for me, but he needs to wait for a plasterer to come round. So end of October, I reckon the kitchen's going to be done for anybody that's still listening to this podcast an hour in and is even remotely interested. That's why I waited until now, because they're going to have to listen to the whole thing. And then <laughs> they do. Until they... they genuinely do. And they, and they actually, considering it's a, a group of either Wednesday or Sheffield United supporters, or well, there's one Barnsley fan, but we don't really talk about that. Um, they do actually listen... They're, they're dedicated weekly listeners, and I, I thank them for boosting our our listening figures. One thing I did want to say, by the way, you know that big lumped ball over the top for Fawn Owls to to go through and score. The defending was about as good as mine on a Saturday morning for Valley Eagles. We've started this season with two back to back defeats, conceding six goals in each game. Um, they'll be quite glad that I'm not playing on Saturday, I'd imagine. I don't know whether they know your uh, your old nickname from from your playing days when you're in Leicestershire. They used to call you the the Terminator, I believe. You you were the hard man. Vinnie Jones was another nickname, and uh, no one dared go near you because you were you were a proper hard man. Remember when you got sent off for headbutting that guy? Unbelievable! And then you assaulted the linesman as well. It's uh, this is the sort of player you've got on your hands. What team is it? Valley 
Valley Eagles FC. Can I just clear up that my disciplinary record is exemplary, apart from one sending off when I was about 14 because I handballed it on the line. The Valley Eagles. They sound like uh, a biker gang from 1950s Minnesota. Anyway, on to the most important thing. And, of course, it's all fancy football. Did you see the... um, Was it on... Which uh, of the Soccer Saturday shows? I think it was the BBC version of the Soccer Saturday where they're going through the game on a Saturday afternoon as it happens. And they were mentioning kind of fancy football points alongside stats and actually what's going on during the 90 minutes. It just shows you that fancy football is is creeping in. Anyway, let's get to the For Fox 8 podcast table and the all-important music. the top 10 with in 10th place Leighton Warner with LCFC Fox Poacher 254 points in 9th place 257 it's uh, Rob Ford with Gardener's Delight up into 8th it's Martin Shafu with Grayson Decore 259 points down into 7th place 261 points it's Stephen West with his vegetable Castagna in 6th place, a non-mover, 261 points also, it's Wok A Fu from Todd Avery. Down into 5th place, 265 points, it's Kieran Ford with For Fook's Sake. And the top 4 up into 4th place, 78 points, really good score, 268 points overall uh, from Tyler Hunya, I've completely said that wrong, Team Lau. In third place, Taylor made Luke Taylor up into third, 87 points. A really good week uh, for Luke, 281 points. And up into second place, Drake Water, Drake Martin with 291 points. But remaining at the top, three points clear. In first place, it's Stay Home, Eat Out, Get Fat, Ian Barker with 294 points. So once again, the top 10, 10 starting on 254. And if I scroll down, oh, Perko, you're in 11th place. Uh, Uh, Me, Frank Sinclair, own goal. How? I'm in the 20s and I've a non-mover. I'm at 21st place again. Uh, 53 points could have been a lot worse. Kind of got away with it this week. 245. So I'm only nine points off the top 10. That's not bad. And Rob, I don't think you're that far down. Are you? You're down in um, 29th place, 239. Again, you got 55 points, so just two points more. So really, we haven't kind of changed. Um, a bit of a summary. My team, I had Aubameyang as captain. That was terrible. And um, I was kind of rescued by Harry Kane. I think many people, I thought many people actually, I might have moved up somewhat because I haven't really got any Leicester players in my team. And uh, and obviously Leicester losing 3-0, I thought it might have benefited me, but it, it really hasn't. You, Rob, um, you had the same thoughts with Aubameyang, but uh, you got points through um, Hamas Rodriguez, who's made a, a brilliant start to life with top of the table Everton. Yeah, and the only consolation really from Leicester losing against West Ham was the fact that Mikel Antonio was uh, a goal scorer, so he bagged me some points there. I was disappointed um, 
not because of anything to do with the scoreline or the the overall result of Leicester versus West Ham, but mainly totally to do with fantasy football. When Barnes' goal was um, chalked off, because an assist for Vardy and a Barnes' goal would have um, would have handed me quite a few extra handy points. And looking at the league, that probably would have put me somewhere near you, if not level or or maybe one above, depending on what points they got and maybe if they got a bonus, but. You know, Vardy's backside was offside, as you as you clearly said earlier on in the podcast. And there I am, tumbling down to 29th place into mid-table anonymity. No, not far off the top 10, though. And I think if that goal did go in, you would have gone above me. And again, the lack of Leicester players, it really is a double-edged sword for me. If Leicester do well, fantastic, obviously. But then... I do poorly in the, in the fancy football. Why I'm, are they not in there? I don't know. I... I I can smell the burning of a wild card over the next couple of weeks with the old uh, international break. Finally, Rob, because it's been a, a jam-packed podcast, we have uh, news from Leicester City women. They drew 2-2 with Durham women at Farley Way. A, a good points because they scored once again an injury time equaliser. It seems Leicester City women so far this season, uh, they really come into their own in the last 15 minutes, either by winning the game or what's been happening actually recently is getting late equalisers. Never a bad thing. And they drew 2-2, an injury time equaliser, and they've got a really big game coming up this weekend, Sunday the 11th, again at Farley Way Corn, which we can't go to. Who knows by then? You never know. Might even be a relaxation in rules. I doubt it. Um, but Leicester play Liverpool. Uh, so that's going to be a big game. Obviously, Liverpool, big club. Their women's side and also their setup is a complete disgrace. If, you, if you're looking at a, a football club, uh, a men's football club, as you would say, who do not take women's football anywhere near as serious as they should for the size of the club. Uh, but here we go. Item A, Liverpool. Oh, my God. Anyway. So, big game for Leicester City women next week, and uh, hopefully they get another late goal and hopefully a winner. And there's a bit of time now until the next game against Aston Villa. So, whether we do a podcast before then, I think we will because there will be time. And we've got Harvey Barnes playing international football, hopefully for England. And there's plenty of games, what, three games internationally. So, I think there's time to to sneak in a, a preview, probably just a half an hour, 25-minute job, really, for the Villa game. But just a quick look to that game. They beat Liverpool. I don't know if you saw this, Rob, but they scored seven goals against Liverpool. What What is going on? in football at the moment <laughs> that it it was just a, a sensational watch slightly scary in a way but they really deserved it Barkley fitting in perfectly Grealish looks like he really has kicked on I keep on using the term kicked on as a player he seems quicker than before and more direct more purposeful um more on his feet and he looks like a player who really should be starting for England yeah, he's, he's finally starting to show that he can justify the hype, really, isn't he? He signed that, obviously, that bumper long-term new deal at, at Villa after all the transfer speculation. And it, it seems as if he's just putting his head down. You know, he will have got some reassurances there at Villa. I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain of that because there, there are very few people that would um, stick to their boyhood club knowing that bigger clubs were sniffing around and seeing this, the, the dire season that Villa had for the majority of the, the previous campaign, 
you you know, nobody would really have forgiven him for jumping ship. He'd, he'd come up with them, he'd captain them into the Premier League, he'd kept them in the Premier League. You know, it, it could quite easily have been in his timeline a good position, a good time to move on. But I'm sure he would have got some reassurances. They've done some decent business in the window, to be fair. Um, and I think they'll be a lot more competitive this season than they were last season. And, and he'll be the, one of the driving forces for that. So that it's not a game to be taken lightly whatsoever. Obviously, we'll talk about it in a bit more detail, as you say, more than likely before the game um, within the trans within the international break, rather. But yeah, it's, it's they're a different proposition to last season, uh, and we will need to be careful and we'll need to be at the races. They really are. What's watching that game highlighted for me is a point we've made what twenty times so far in this podcast. That gap between the defensive midfield sector, so what they've got, um, is it Douglas Louise in, in in that area, and then you, and then the centre forward, Ollie Watkins, they play with that one forward, so similar to us, but in between they've got Jack Grealish and Ross Barkley, and there's your two attacking midfielders who can receive the ball, dribble, but also lay the ball off. Slightly different to Bar- uh, to Harvey Barnes in a way at the moment. Um, but they link the play perfectly. And I thought Ross Barkley's, I, I think he's very hit and miss. He's a good player and he, he's a good Premier, Premier League player. I don't think he's international quality. I think he might, that for me, I think he's, he's, he's kind of gone at that level. But at a Premier League level, if he gets a run of games and settles somewhere, he, he can be excellent. And he links the midfield and attack perfectly which you need when you're playing with one forward Grealish exactly the same Madison's that player for us but I still think that there's room for one more when you've got Barnes one side Under the other side possibly again more direct really than that kind of link player whether it's Ben Rama who knows whether it could be Brooks we might know by the time we do the next podcast. It's going to be a really intriguing game against Villa. Again, hopefully we'll bring you a podcast, and we will do next week at some point. Look out on social media, because I'd imagine the preview podcast for the game against Villa will be later on next week because of the games for England. Why not do it only two or three days before the Villa game? I think that's probably about right. At FFS Pod, if you want to get hold of us on Twitter, give us a follow anyway. Uh, follow us on Facebook, type in for Fox 8 Podcast. And also, if you want to send us anything, either do that through those two social media terms or for fox8podcast at gmail.com is the email address. You can listen to this. I don't know how you listen to this, whether it's through Apple iTunes. You can listen to us on SoundCloud. You can also listen to us on Spotify and however else that you listen to us. Any questions, any comments, anything at all, Lester-wise, send it to us and then we'll do our best to do just what you say, or answer some of the questions. Anything else, Rob, on this bumper episode? Not at all. I will I will let everybody's ears have a bit of a rest and we'll speak to them next week. Yeah, fingers crossed that Spahn scores a hat-trick every game for England and England win 10-0. It's not much for really asking for. But there we go. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.